So welcome to Monkey and Frank. My name is Do, and my body is Dom. And today I've got a special guest, and it's uh, Brandon, my soul brother from uh, my ayahuasca family. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well, Dom. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about your journey into psychedelics. How does that sound to you? I cannot wait. And <laughs> thank you for, uh, for having me on. It's, uh, it's going to be a really good talk for sure. Uh, it's a pleasure. So when's the first time that you ever took psychedelic in your life? Um, so for me, I actually was introduced to psychedelics in high school. Um, the first psychedelic I actually took was called uh, Salvia Divinorum. And I took it without any anticipation that there was going to be an actual psychedelic experience. I was more or less under the impression that I was going to smoke some weed and have a little bit of the salvia on top. And it might make me feel okay, a little, little buzz. Um, but I had no idea what was in store. Um, so, so for the first psychedelic experience, I add the salvia to um, a little bit of weed and a bong and I smoke it. And like my friend said, just hold it in as long as you possibly can. So I took the hit and I held it in for about 15 seconds. And as soon as I blew it out, I uh, instantly just fell right to the ground, right to the ground, got up, fell right against the wall. And for the next about 10, 15 minutes, I was just completely in a different dimension out of this reality. And I had such a terrifying experience honestly it was not it was not a pleasurable experience at all um yeah, but i heard that um, yeah it's really potent it's one of the most potent but the problem is that your body is still in this world right so as you're living in the other world you're banging into the wall like you say the tables like what did you see so yeah that was like the one of the weirdest parts about it was after i fell like the two initial times i was literally because I actually recorded myself through a laptop at the time as well. So when I played it back, I saw that my, like I was just walking around and I wasn't hitting anything. I could somehow manage my way throughout um, the space I was in without hitting or knocking anything over. Yet I was completely immersed in this other dimension. Just my hands are moving and you can see that I'm just not there. Um, but for that experience, my trip pretty much from what I recall was I was in a classroom setting because it was on lunch at, at, it was in grade 12 and I had my like uniform on. So I was in a classroom setting. Everything was completely um, a cartoon. And all of a sudden I hear like this big rumble and the entire kind of dimension of reality I was in was shaking. And then all of a sudden I look up and this being this really ogre um massive i don't even know how to describe it being kind of opens up the sky with his two hands and pokes his head in this world and looks back and says hey i found another world guys everybody come over come come check it out so then all of a sudden there's more rumbling and then another like massive um i can't even describe what they were looking like alien um, slash ogre um, characters came in and they looked in to this um, world that I was in and I looked up and I just remember being so terrified and because this being opened up 
um, the sky above me, time actually stopped. So I was frozen. And then essentially, I, I don't recall too much what happened after that. Um, but I remember coming out of the experience and just being terrified. I, I didn't know that it was even possible to have that experience, let alone that I was going to um, with no expectation. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a crazy first experience to say the least. And with Salvia, are your feelings like extreme, like a, a mushroom trip or an LSD or your mushroom are basically just the same and it's the visual that's just insane? Um, it was like, I didn't feel like I was present there at all. Like, like it was just visuals and it felt like I was just, um, kind of witnessing what was going on. It wasn't like I was interacting or it wasn't like I was having an experience. It was just like, I was kind of witnessing what was going on and yeah, it wasn't a, uh, a pleasurable experience at all. <laughs> I've always wondered because Salvia, I've never taken it before and it's scary because there's no spiritual kind of anything about it, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's just, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the, the weird thing about it too was back in high school, we actually just went to the convenience store and picked it up for, I think it was under um, like a religious kind of context why they could sell it, I, but we literally just went to the illegal. store. I'm pretty sure oh, it's yeah. illegal. Yeah, yeah, I think you can still buy it uh, here, like in Ottawa anyways, like you go to those weed shop or whatever, and they have salvia for sure. It's insane. Really? Like it's the most craziest uh, psychedelic when it comes to the visual, but I, I've never experienced that. It's way, it scared me too much because you see the videos of people just crashing through windows. If you don't have kind of like a, a buddy to kind of protect you, it can be crazy dangerous. Like Yeah, 100%. That's crazy. All right, so let's move on to the next one. That, that I guess, doesn't really count. But uh, uh, before you go to the next one, while you were in high school, what kind of childhood did you have? Like, was it smooth? Was it traumatic? Or, I mean, if you want to talk about it, that is. For sure, for sure. Um, so I would say for the longest time, I had this kind of perception that my childhood was perfect and nothing was wrong. And really for the first, like, 16 years of my life, at least this is the story that I used to tell myself. Uh, but for the first 16 years of my life, everything was perfect. We had a good house. I had a great parents, loving, um, great friendships. I was doing well in school and everything seemed to be okay and fine. And that there was no trauma and no pain or no suffering um, that I could tell. Um, and uh, essentially at 16, uh, my parents divorced and there was a lot of other um, just situations that, that were happening and from loved ones passing to new family members being introduced. Um, when my dad had a new or got a new wife and just, just a lot of big changes for me. So at that point I was really confused and really lost with the world and really all of my paradigms and ways of thinking had completely been shattered. And I really fell into kind of a deep hole um, from about, age 16 to about 22 and yeah I, I was very lost and that that was one of the reasons why I was so open to having different experiences with psychedelics and even with other drugs I mean at the time I was conforming to anyone's standards in order to be someone who could actually connect with other people I, I would I would lose my authenticity and who I truly was in order to just be whoever anybody else wanted me to be. 
And through that, I, I just completely uh, lost the connection with myself. And it was a difficult time for sure. Lots of periods of uh, depression and, and addiction and anxiety. So yeah, it was a, it was a very challenging time for sure. It resonates a lot with me, my friend. I understand. Uh, I, I feel you. I feel you. And what was your relation with ca- relationship with uh, cannabis at the time? Um, so at the time, I was abusing it uh, every day, and I would mix tobacco with it daily as well. So at the time, it was. I mean, it was. It was kind of a paradox or weird. Because at the same time, I was abusing it. I was simultaneously learning a lot of insights and trying to dig into philosophy and psychology and different subjects in order to expand my paradigm. Because at the time, like I said, my way of thinking and my paradigm was shattered by the external circumstances that were going on. So my mindset was, okay, I'm going to lose every thought and every belief that I've ever had. And I'm going to start from scratch and start anew. And so cannabis really helped me expand my awareness in a lot of senses and got me into deeper philosophies and other even religions to kind of piece back a paradigm that I could connect with. Now I'm guessing just because I see so many parallels, I'm just going to talk from my experience. Um, The idea that like I I read the piece the other day that I wrote because I'm going through my old hard drives and I was looking at the text like, Uh, writing something to the effect of like all I need is loving myself and so I had all the knowledge like uh, cannabis anyways was showing me all the knowledge but I I never found myself during that time until myself and I went to Peru anyways but it's weird how cannabis shows you so much but at the same time like it didn't fulfill any sense of uh, something more something greater did you ever get to that point where cannabis like actually brought you comfort because i don't know for me it kind of just dug a a hole slowly yet giving me so much peace yet anxiety sometimes and knowledge but yet i don't know tell me more yeah no so i definitely resonate with that and your story so much um for me i think i was really into many different drugs at the time and i became addicted to pills and coke and m and really any substance or behavioral compulsion to escape my reality and i was just more or less hopping from one substance to another one thing to the other just to keep escaping my reality and it came down to me and weed and cannabis and that was kind of the last straw that i i knew i had to quit that and then finally i would be free of all of these addictions or at least this was my mentality at the time, um, I would be free of, of the addictions that I've been struggling with for um, several years. And so the process for me of um, quitting cannabis was very, very difficult. I, um, I became really ashamed at who I was and the behaviors that I was um, doing on a regular basis. And I was journaling every single day and through journaling and literally writing in more or less a self-sabotaging way, I literally, I, I wrote day and night saying, I'm going to quit. I got to quit tonight. There's no 
no way I'm going to be smoking tomorrow. I'll bet this. So I'll, I'll, anything I, I could write down on a piece of paper that would help me try and quit, but in a very negative way, I would write down. And then the next day would come and same thing. I'd wake up immediately, smoke and be back in the same cycle of writing down in a journal. I can't believe I'm doing this. I hate myself. I'm so ashamed of the person I am. I want to be better. I know I can be better. And then next day, same thing over and over. And it was a process, honestly, that it ended up working to my favor a lot because I learned so much from that um, very difficult and challenging time. But it took me about two and a half years of journaling every single day in order for me to conquer and overcome that struggle that I had with cannabis as that final um, addiction. So yeah, it was, again, it was, I learned so many lessons from cannabis and it opened my mind in ways that I never thought a substance could or anything could. Um, but it was one of the most difficult things to stop abusing for sure. That resonates so much. And you, the money that I spent on cannabis was insane. You're talking like, uh, let's say you buy an ounce every two weeks at 180 or 175, man, I was always broke. Like I oh, yeah. so much shame. I would go to Christmas to see my parents and I never had money to buy gifts. And and they always were so supportive because they knew that I was going through a depression and I was just, and they like, I couldn't see the light. So I hear you a hundred percent. And the same with MDMA, as much as MDMA helped me with uh, my anxiety. I don't know if you had anxiety yourself, but it's weird how it would show me like that I was light, that I was, that I was a wizard, that I, that I could achieve anything. And yet the next day I would still go back to cannabis. Like it never stopped that addiction, but it, it helped on so many ways when it comes to anxiety. Did you grow up with anxiety after that phase when your parents separated or was it just an idea of uh, an addiction kind of thing? Um, for me, I, I definitely did have anxiety but I would say that I suppressed and I guess repressed a lot of my emotions throughout that time period. So while I might've had anxiety, I would just use or smoke so often that I never felt it because I would be high. So I never really experienced big anxiety attacks at the time because I was kind of abusing all these different substances. However, um, yeah, it, it just, more or less it was um an anxious period looking back but i was not conscious of all the uh, all the things that were going on around me and within me at the time oh wow thanks for painting that picture man that's crazy i i didn't know and it relates so much to my life that's crazy all right so tell me about uh, your psychedelic your next uh, psychedelic journey okay uh, and this is this is where it's so crazy because i have such a high respect for psychedelics and plant medicines and i understand that they can be such transformative tools and yet my second experience with psychedelics was similar to my first i mean i was peer pressured into taking mushrooms for this time and i had just a terrible experience i mean Looking back, it would be classified as that typical bad trip, uh, which I don't really like to use those words anymore. I like the the notion of just challenging trips or challenging journeys. However, at the time, it was awful. Again, it was awful. And I 
I was in grade 12, um, just finishing grade 12. And it was right after my parents' divorce. And I was in the midst of a lot of things going on um, around me. And that obviously the set is so crucial. Set and setting is so crucial. But the set in my internal world at that time was not prepared to have this mind altering reality dissolving experience. And so I experienced a lot of anxiety and fear and terror within this experience as well as my first. (laughs) And were you able to purge or was it just a pure fear kind of the entire way? Um, It was, it was a pure fear. It was, I, I remember the first hallucination or the first um, visual that I saw, I began to get pretty paranoid with how I was feeling because I wasn't, um, I, I'd never taken mushrooms and I began to get very paranoid. I remember I just went into a corner. I was just standing in a corner at, yeah, where two walls are meeting. I'm looking directly at the wall and all I see is this massive dark blue and gray and black grim reaper. <laughs> and he's just staring at me and it just feels like I'm just going to die. I am just terrified out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. So anxious, overflowing with fear at this point. And I ended up going to a room, which was, I literally ran to this room and I locked the door, turned off the lights and I sat on the bed and had to try and process what I had just saw, like seen. And then it was again, more, more fear. I was not in, in the mindset to have this type of experience. I did not go in with any intentions. I had not um, prepared for this experience at all. Again, I had no correct set or setting. And again, this was, it was a terrifying experience. So I was on the bed and all I recall is these demons. That's pretty well all I can say. These demons coming out of the, the room and flying flying into me and all these demons just saying that they're gonna get me and they're flying into me and I just all this anxiety and fear and everything was building up and it got to the point where I just couldn't I couldn't manage it however I was too scared to leave the room because I didn't know what other people um, were gonna say about me or how they were gonna judge me because at that time I was very self-conscious and I needed that kind of external validation from other people in order to internally feel good about myself. And obviously that is not a good space to be in, but that was where I was at. And so I just stayed in this room and I was there for about an hour, uh, an hour and a half, if I can recall that correctly. And afterwards I moved upstairs to a a different bedroom and I was just looking at myself in the mirror just thinking like my whole mind is just it's just dissolved it just feels like it's just a liquid and I was just again I was so confused I didn't know what to make of it and yeah for my second second psychedelic experience it was again just sheer terror and honestly, no real learning lessons or anything that I wanted to integrate at the time because I was so 
immature and irresponsible and not ready to overcome a lot of the things that I had going on. So it, it was, it was a challenging trip to say the least. What was your, uh, what was your relationship with death at the day? Like back then, what was, did you follow any religion? Were you comfortable with death? What was your, yeah. Um, at the time I, I never really even thought about it. I was so stuck in the victim uh, mindset that I was only worried about me. And I thought the world was against me. I didn't really have even a, a conceptualization of what death is, or I never thought about it. It was more or less me continuously being so caught up in my own being and in my own problems that I thought I had, but really my mind was just creating them. And I was stuck in that victimization mode. So a lot of my interest in other people, my connections with other people, my interest in anything philosophical like this, um, it was really hard to get, uh, it was really hard to get any sort of concrete foundation to be established because I was, I was just so lost, confused and caught up in that victim mode. Man, you actually, uh, you're bringing me for a long time. I thought that I had never done psychedelic before ayahuasca, but while you were talking, I'm like, holy shit, I did do mushroom one time when I was young. And so uh, let me tell you about that. So I was sure. 17 and I was going out with that girl and I was in the same place as you. I was in, I must have been 19 actually, because I was in college and I remember just being unhappy and I kind of lost all of my high school friends, you know, the, the friends that were really cool. And I was, uh, I was with this new guy and this girlfriend at my apartment and uh, she brought mushrooms over and I don't know, I must have ate like 1.5 grams or something. It's hard to tell back then. And we were trying to watch TV, but I, when the mushrooms started to kick in, I remember just the room breathing and I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. And we started this laughing trip. Thank God. You know, like sometimes the mushroom brings you one way or the other. And I remember just laughing and we were trying to watch family guy and all of the jokes wouldn't land. Like I remember watching it. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, this makes no sense. Like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? And then like you go to the washroom, go to the bathroom. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I remember seeing kind of a little bit of my face shifting. And then when I came back outside of the room, I remember sitting and all of a sudden my mind went to, I, my mind was really loud back then when it comes to inner monologue, I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why are you even here? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you smoking cannabis every day? And then it wouldn't stop. Like, like the inner critic just started getting louder and louder and louder. And I started to trip like really bad trip because back then I used to have a uh, panic attacks as well. So now panic attack starts to roll in and the inner critic is just so fucking loud. Like, why the fuck are you here? What are you doing with your life? You know, you're always broke. You're always smoking cannabis. You're doing a program that you fucking hate. You like, you hate your life and just like nonstop negativity Now, at one point I just got up and I looked at the new friend, like I just met him like fucking a month ago. And now I'd invited him to do shrooms with me, with my girlfriend. I'm like, why the fuck are you even here? 
And I, and I'm like, I don't understand why you're here. And then I looked at my girlfriend, same with you. Like, why the fuck are you here? It makes no fucking sense. And I just ran into the bedroom and I kind of just laid down and was suffering with my inner critic. And I, I sent him on such a bad trip for a guy. He told me like the week after, I'm like, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. It's like, <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think that uh, the inner critic, that is, it's one of the most challenging things in life that I've personally had to deal with, or at least try to turn into a coach instead of, um, or turn into a coach and an ally instead of like an enemy. And it definitely can be accentuated as negative in, uh, in a lot of these experiences. And yeah, man, I, I, re I resonate with that so much. 100%. All right. So send me to, uh, all right. So that trip just passed. Horrible. Death Reaper, demons. You managed to survive the night. Still, I'm guessing like your depression is not over. Tell me about the next trip. Where are you at? Um, okay. So the next trip, if I recall it right, I don't think I tripped for about five years after that. And it was a LSD experience that I had with my brother, actually. And it was in 2017, I believe, in September. I, we, we took one tab and it wasn't, um, how do I explain this trip? There, there was no visuals. It was all um, sensory and all feeling. And it was such a powerful experience. I just remember us both having really, really deep and profound um, conversations and our connection was just unparalleled. We were so present and so immersed within all of the deeper truths of reality that we hadn't yet like experienced before. And I think one of the, uh, one of the funniest aspects of that um, trip was that we were having such good conversations that I secretly started recording on my phone because I was like, yeah, I have to, I have to somehow obtain all of these gold nuggets, all of these deeper screws. And I got to get it on my phone so that these will not leave my brain. And at the same time, I guess my brother was doing the exact same thing. He started recording was secretly. And then at the end of our conversation, we're both like, okay, but wait, I just recorded. And oh, but I just recorded and then we literally we were just dying of laughter because just because the, the conversations were absolutely profound and, and really transformative and life-changing for both of us. So it was just so cool that we both had that kind of gut feeling of, oh my God, there's so many golden nuggets here. We just have to somehow capture them. So it, it was a, it was a very, very um, positive and enlightening experience for sure. Is he your uh, only sibling? Yes. Yeah, he uh, he is my kind of number one best friend. Never fought growing up. We have uh, an extremely, extremely good relationship. And yeah, just beyond grateful for for all he's done for me and all he is for sure. Is he the older one or? Yeah, he's three okay. years older. Oh, wow. So there you go. So as you guys were going through the divorce, he was there for you and you guys kind of stuck together no matter what. That's kind of cool. Did he chose the same path as you a little bit? Like when it came to cannabis or everything, or did he, how, like, were you looking up to him or you guys were on the same level? 
because it, it matters. Um, sorry, sorry, continue. No, no, no. That's uh, that's my question for sure. I want, I want to see like in in your life when you were going through your struggles, where do you, where does where was he kind of thing? Like where how did you look to him? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, I would say that we both felt kind of like the whole world was against us at that time. And we really felt like we only had each other. And I was looking to him for a lot of things at that time. And over the years, I think he's been looking up to me in, in a couple of ways as well. And at that time for me, I mean, he was taking care of me financially at one point. He bought me a new phone, I remember. And anytime we went out for anything to eat, he would pay for it. And I always, for me, I always revered and looked up to his character more than anything. He just, it's crazy. He's one of the only people that I've ever known who just, if there is a situation where there is something that is right or wrong and it's kind of blatant, but there's not many other people that are willing to take the responsibility and courage to make a certain decision um he, he just always steps up to the plate he always does what's right and he always connects with his heart and those situations where for example my my grandma was supposed to get buried in um one of just a different city not her hometown and this was coordinated by somebody else and my brother took it upon himself to just make sure that she was buried in her hometown where she initially wanted to be buried and while a lot of my family members and nobody really said anything, he was the one to step up to the plate. And he was just always that guy to always do what's right, no matter what, no matter what other people believe, no matter if people will have a conflict with him. He just, if it's the right thing to do, he will always stand up for the truth. And I really admire that about him. And it just really shows how, how honorable his character is. And so much courage too to be able to stand up to the family like that. That's crazy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's, yeah, there's countless experiences and, and times where I've just been in awe of him. But I think over the years, we've grown together exponentially. And every day seems like I can't get any closer to him, but somehow in some new way, we connect on some new level. And I'm just beyond grateful to have had my best friend as my brother growing up. So no matter what, whether we were three years old or now that he's 30 and I'm 20, 26, I mean, there's just no better gift that I ever could have had in my life. That's crazy. He was like a, a rock, you know, I, uh, yeah, no, sorry. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit of my story just because it's resonating so much. Um, so the way that you're explaining the relationship with your uh, brother, I had that with uh, my cousin, like Frank, he's a year uh, younger than me. And uh, growing up, we grew up in a small village and my older sister is a year older than me. And his older sister is a year older than my sister. And because they were all like, my sister was always with her sister. And I was always my cousin. He was always with me, like always since birth, (laughs) like, yeah, I remember like uh, spending like every day with him and same with you, like no matter what I did, no matter what he did, 
it didn't matter. Like we would always be there for each other, like for support, for the thing that I enjoyed the most, like uh, not the most, but the thing that was so profound and amazing is that I could just be sitting beside my cousin and uh, it felt great, like period. Just having a rock beside you, like this type of relationship is so freaking valuable. And I remember like, you know, from 16 to whatever, 24-esque. At 24, I did the same thing as you where I quit cannabis and it was so freaking hard. And I kind of did it the same way as you, but without the journaling, I would, the way that I would record my golden nuggets in my mind is I, I always enjoyed when I would have a beautiful conversation with somebody and let's say it would be so profound because smoking cannabis does that. Like if you have a, if you grow up smoking cannabis, I noticed like I would have, you know, you go outside to smoke a joint and then somebody random shows up and you just talk for an hour outside. And it was just so profound. I would, I would always the next day, like I, as the conversation would happen, I knew like, Oh, this is changing my life. This conversation is so profound that I know that I am a different person because it, the way that we talked was so profound. And I, then for the next week or so, I would remember that scenario because I would want to record it in my mind as best as I could. And I did that all throughout my childhood. And the thing that kind of started it was when I was young at, at about four, just before the brain switched to five, I remember as a kid kind of waking up like it just before becoming a kid and noticing that my time would be all, all over the place. Like I would wake up, not wake up, but I like, I would snap into a new, like a situation. I'd be crying because I just fell. And then I would wake up to another reality and it would be morning. And then I would wake up, it'd be night. And then I'd wake up, like uh, I'm saying wake up, but it's more like uh, the awareness. And then I remember the transition of like the time kind of starting to place itself together. And now things would get more and more linear. And I remembered like, holy shit, as a kid, like as a very young kid, like I'm going through a transformation and this is crazy. Like I remember being scared a little bit and how weird it was almost like a psychedelic experience. Like I remember like at four, like being so weirded out by the, and at one point I just kind of became quiet and I would just look and observe and record what was happening. And since then, I really enjoyed the process of evolution inside my brain. And I, I never stopped doing that. So every time that I would have a conversation, I would have that thing that I'm in my back pocket that I've done all of my life. It's just something that I grew up with. And uh, so when I quit cannabis, um, I remember like my life just exploded for the positivity, like just things, just every time I would quit cannabis, because it happened a few times, like I would say three or four times in my life. And everything would just go crazy positive. You know, I get a new girlfriend, I get a new job. And I knew like a job would be coming. Like I would just think of, yeah, I want to do this. And all of a sudden there, a, a job offer would come my way. And it's like, all right, like it's, it was so positive and so profound. And my cousin and I uh, started smoking weed together when he, just before he went to high school, I had tried cannabis twice and both time I had puked my guts out because I was such a nervous, anxious kid at a young age. Um, but then when he lost all of his friends before going to high school, my mom came to me and she's like, hey, do you want to go get your cousin? He's very depressed. He just lost all of his friends. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, of course. I'm like, obviously. So I go and pick him up. I bring him to my place and I smoke a joint with him. And 
for the first time, because now it was my third time smoking cannabis, I have a blast, like in my bedroom, we just smoked straight up in my bedroom, because my parents were smokers. So the house smelled like cigarettes, like, I never thought about it until, you know, uh, when I got to college, but like, I used to smoke in my bedroom, all the time. And my sister thought that, you know, it smelled bad in my bedroom, because I was a boy and boys are just stinky. She told me that. So anyways, and as we were smoking, we had like a laughing trip. And since that day, I smoked every day with my cousin. That was kind of like the beginning of my addiction. And so anyways, so I I quit weed a few times. And I noticed that every time I quit, my life just explodes. But yet, I remember saying to myself, like, oh, I'm smoking weed, because I've got so much anxiety. And when I would smoke, it would kind of bring it on. And I'd be like, if I can face this anxiety with cannabis, because I enjoyed it so much. And I, I didn't know why, just because my cousin and I used to smoke like every day together all the time. If I was going out with my friends, my cousin was there and all my friends would be so pissed. Like, why is he here? Because he's my little brother. Like there's like, I would not even answer. It's either he's there or I'm gone. Like you guys deal with it. I don't give a fuck. And I remember thinking to myself, like, the day that I'm going to be able to master my anxiety, my anxiety is the day that I'm going to quit cannabis. And then I'll, I'll know I'll be healed and everything's going to be so beautiful. Cause every time that I quit cannabis, everything just explode. But after you quit cannabis for a while, my depression would come back and my anxiety would still be there. So I thought to myself, like, this is, this is bullshit. Like I, I'm not getting any better. And I was afraid of M I was afraid of LSD mushroom. I never except that one time when I was really depressed, <laughs> Uh, with my girlfriend and anyways now that I'm thinking back and uh, when uh, there's they came to a point where my cousin and I decided to quit together I came back as a flight attendant I had uh, my cousin was there with me I'm sorry I'm talking a lot but I I want to share that so much no no problem no problem so when I went as a flight attendant uh, I didn't want the job and it's kind of like a job that kind of landed on me and I had to move to Toronto within like uh, eight weeks after the intensive training in Montreal and I had lost everything. And I remember missing my cousin so much. And I stayed in Toronto for two years and a half as a flight attendant, but for the, for the most part of it, I was alone in my apartment. And I didn't even, at one point I just stopped playing computers, stopped watching TV and I would just smoke cannabis, smoke cigarettes and stare at the white wall. And because I was so depressed, I remember thinking to myself, like the only way I can get rid of this is really going back in my past and, thinking of everybody that I've ever hurt and just thinking about it, asking forgiveness. Cause I was, I was a lot into Jesus and God and like, and it's all about forgiveness. And I'm like, I must be suffering because I must've done something wrong, but I was such a good kid growing up. Like I was always a, a good kid. Like I never hurt. And then I would think of like, who did I hurt? And okay. I hurt this guy in high school. I called him a name and I shouldn't have done that. And I, I did that for hours on end, like days after days after days except when I would be working as a flight attendant, like on the plane. And I was very charismatic and I enjoyed being with people. And I always had a big smile on my face when I around people. But when I'd be on my own, I'd be so anxious and be so depressed and so unhappy. It's as if I had like a hood of unhappiness and it was so heavy. And when I did that, I kind of became a little bit loony where I lost the ability to kind of talk with friends. Like I knew how to work. I knew how to play the part but when it came to really being myself I was so quiet like I, I became really quiet and I remember coming back from uh, Toronto I just kind of quit after going to Germany and I had trouble because 
I couldn't talk to anybody. So my cousin came back in my life, of course, because he, we he was my rock. And he brought me back to kind of sanity, like where I would just be in his truck smoking a joint cigarettes and I'd be quiet and he would accept me for a while. He never looked at me like, holy fuck, you're weird compared to the other guys because I didn't know how to talk to people. And so when he brought me back to kind of myself and I started to feel super, all right, I'm back. Like I'm no longer just me, myself and I, because yeah. the, the inner credit, I, I kind of disappeared because I was, I was talking to him. I started talking to myself when I was uh, in front of that white wall. And I remember the inner critic changing from being so pissed off at me to me having a conversation with him. And yes, sometimes it would be super negative, but I'd be talking back to it, like more like, go fuck yourself. Like, and it was, it was weird to be insane for a little while. And uh, when my cousin brought me back, we decided to both quit cannabis because my parents and my life was kind of again depressed and everything and we both quit together and for the next two weeks I remember being with him like every day like he would be we would help each other to be clean and I would go work with him he was doing side siding at the time and uh, I was doing a technical repair or whatever I was a technician for a cable company and my, our lives just started getting better. His company was doing good. My parents were so proud of us. We were clean. And uh, then about like three weeks after that, he passed away. And I'm like, fuck, oh, like my life shattered. Like, I'm so sorry to hear that. No, it's all good. Man. Like my life, uh, like just shattered. And, and uh, everything that I kind of established because for the two years that I was in Toronto, I was thinking a lot about forgiveness, God and everything. And I was so spiritual and I felt so at peace. I was so quiet that it's almost like I could feel other people's energy. And I was kind of enjoying being a wizard and like, cause something had clicked inside of me. I was so in tune with my inner critic and my feelings. And it's not like my feelings were not depressed. Like I was uber, uber fucking depressed, but I was owning it. Like I was one with those feelings and- yeah, like my stomach was always hurting. That's fine. Like, that's just who I, I kind of ac accepted my situation. And of course, I was a smoker. You know, there's a lot of things that I was not doing well uh, to help my body kind of thing. And when he passed away, my, like everything turned into chaos, like everything. And I went back to weed. I went back and uh, yeah. And then that lasted for eight years until I did ayahuasca. But I wanted to share that with you just to kind of, I don't know why I felt called to share. No, for sure. Thank you for sharing, man. I uh, I resonate with that story immensely because I think the nature of this is really cyclical. It's really, um, yeah, the ups and downs of life, they come and go. And for me, I, I experienced the same thing with cannabis and with other drugs of you, you quit for a little bit, you feel on top of the world, good things start happening, but then you fall back into a rut and then you're kind of back at square one. And yeah, still to this day, I mean, I... I experienced some, um, the inner critical come back and the stress will come back and I get overwhelmed. And again, I think understanding that it is a cyclical aspect of life is extremely beneficial. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing, man. And no worries. And also I wanted to kind of bring up as well, the idea that like your brother, it's something so fucking special, like so special. And that's why I shared that story, like in a way as well, like, the idea, like, I know you already recognize it 
And you know how you were saying like, oh, it's, I, I can't love him more. And I hope my story makes him just love him more, a little bit more because for sure. So fucking beautiful. All right. Let's move on to, to the next, I guess. Like, where, where are you at now? So you did LSD golden nuggets. How did you feel after that? Like, did it, did it change you for the better for a little while? Tell me a little bit about that. So at the time I just started dating my girlfriend and honestly, my, my life kind of did a big 180. Um, when I started dating Carolyn, I sort of, sort of back it up a, a bit. Um, I started traveling pretty extensively in 2015. Um, just solo trips, went to Egypt and went to Southeast Asia and did a couple um, just, just trips by myself to kind of get myself out there because I wanted really any other reality than what I was living at the time. So I just kind of uh, went and traveled to all these different places. And in 2017, I ended up connecting with Carolyn and we had such an incredible summer and we were doing everything. We did a helicopter ride over the Niagara Falls and any, any adventure um, that we could do, we were, we were doing it. And so the LSD experience was kind of right in the, midst of all these amazing things aligning in my life and then carolyn and i we went to um iceland and to amsterdam and then we went to arizona for a birthday and, and we did more traveling and then the next psychedelic i'm trying to think i don't think it was until ayahuasca i'm trying to recall though so now that you're having a high like again i going back to death um did you had anybody that had passed away that was that was really profound were you wearing was death basically a negative cloak on your shoulder or was it something again that was light as a feather you don't really think about it you're enjoying life what was your relationship at this point yeah so i, I was the hardest death for me was it was my grandma and papa and they passed actually 11 days apart. Um, so my grandma passed away from cancer. And then 11 days later, my papa, who was in perfect shape, really good physical health, um, but he suffered Alzheimer's. He passed yeah, 11 days later. So that was extremely hard for me. And at the time, I did suppress a lot of it. And I didn't know how to kind of cope with that either. So once that happened, my relationship with death was very, um, it, it was, I had no connection or no relationship with death at all. I just more or less didn't understand it. And I was fearful of it. Avoiding and, like avoidance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it, it was definitely a, a difficult period. And, and I simultaneously at the same time, it was, kind of gave me a sense that there was something more, some greater energy, some greater source that connected kind of everybody. Because for, for me, witnessing that my papa being in perfect physical health and then him passing just 11 days after just makes me at least want to just believe that there is some greater connection between individuals and Yeah, just the, the human connection goes far beyond just a, a physical, physical bond. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's really profound. That's like those birds, you know, they mate for life. And then as soon as one bird dies, the other one stops eating. That's it. That's all. 
like uh, yeah that's yeah. amazing in a way like i'm really sorry for your loss but at the same time it's so beautiful um but yeah, absolutely yeah but you were so close so what made you think of uh, going to ayahuasca was it a uh, what was it, like was it a, do you want to change or was it again taking the plunge like going for you know something uh, unique new let's do it you know well yeah so so for me i was actually i'm similar to matt in the sense i listened to your podcast with matt absolutely loved it <laughs> but i'm similar to matt in the sense that i actually watched the dmt spirit molecule documentary and i watched it in either late 2011 or early 2012 and so from that point i had this weird obsession with dmt and i was super interested in how these alternate realities and these different mystical experiences can actually help transform people in positive ways and for me it was kind of well i mean yeah it was seven seven and a half years went by and i still had no really calling to do it for myself i was just more or less really interested in the potential of that helping other people and then as i was going through a lot of these um really positive shifts in my life from getting my girlfriend and us going on all these trips and, and kind of evolving in a lot of different ways and shedding a lot of the past. I felt this calling in 2019, uh, about a month or two before I went to the jungle and it was, it was a very odd experience. It was unlike really any other experience I've had where it was just, a calling of, okay, I'm going like, there was no discussion, no um, decision to be made. It was already made. I just felt this calling within me and yeah, it was, it was the strangest thing because I always have seen myself as kind of somebody who overthinks and contemplates too often. However, this, this decision was, it was a no brainer. It was just, I'm going and I had no, expectations i wasn't attached to any outcomes i didn't know why i was having this calling arise but i just kind of went with the flow and as soon as i made the decision to go to the amazon and do ayahuasca everything kind of shifted like from the moment i said yes and i booked the next month before i went i was there was already a lot of kind of gold nuggets and teachings that were already being um, that I already felt like I had access to just because I had made one, um, decision off of this calling. So it was, it was really profound in that sense. Did, and when you met your girlfriend, like at this point, are you clean, I guess, of cannabis or is it now cannabis is under control, like where you would maybe do it here or there? Yeah. So I, at this point, I, I would rarely do it and I had complete control over it. So from I, I quit in 2016 was um, the year where the addiction just ended completely. And from then on, I have um, had a pretty good controllable relationship with it. I haven't done it too often, to be honest. However, when I do do it, it's just more or less for uh, recreation and, and just to have, have a fun, fun time, honestly. And now in 2019, yeah, it was, it was the exact same thing. So, I, I would smoke here and there very, very rarely. Um, but at the time I wasn't, I wasn't using um, anything and I was actually 
So a month before I went to the Amazon, I did an ultra marathon, my first ultra marathon, uh, just a 50 K race. And that kind of made me sober for, I think it was about four months before that. So I was in very good health and very good shape, uh, physically before making that decision to, to go to the Amazon. So on top of the two years of journaling and really going deep into the psyche of kind of self-hatred and so on and so forth, did you have another kind of trick? Like, did you focus entirely on your body to be able to really let it go after that two years? Or was it just simply the journaling and you woke up one day and I'm like, all right, I think I'm good. Um, no, it was definitely, it was definitely a long process. The, the journaling, I, I mean, if you remember me in the Amazon, you know how much I love journaling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, journaling has just been like one of the most profound ways and transformative tools for me to become a better person. I can just look at who I am right now, kind of write down the, the ways that I want to improve and just kind of take action and track my progress. And so for, for me, journaling was probably the biggest motivator and tool that I used for quitting cannabis and other substances. Um, but it was definitely a long process. It was probably, uh, I came in countless times where I would quit and then stay, I'm sober. It's only been a month though. And then I go back using, and then that process kind of repeated for a while. Um, but it gradually got better as time went on until the point where, yeah, I, I just accepted, okay, there's, there's no, positives here there's no benefits cannabis is no longer serving me and i got to the understanding that the consequences just far outweighed the benefits so i i think it was more or less the the understanding behind it that allowed me to to finally quit and what about for the the strong stuff like uh, cocaine or any type of was that one an easier one because it's it's an opiate and it's um yeah i mean Again, for, for me at that time, I ended up quitting those substances through using other substances. So it was like, oh, I have like a little phase with MDMA and for six months. You just do MDMA and then, okay, I, I know I can't do this, so I'm going to stop doing it. However, how I'm going to do that is I'm going to just start doing Coke and I would do Coke and drink and go out with friends and have that experience for, for a couple months. And then I'd be like, okay, no. Um, I know I, I shouldn't be doing this. And then I would end up transferring to prescriptions. And then I did like Concerta and Ritalin and like Adderall for a little bit. And then finally it was down to, to weed and tobacco. And that was, yeah, again, that was like the last straw. So, so for the harder substances, I more or less reduced the harm that I was doing to myself um, by starting to use um, less harmful substances. 100%. So, Yeah. And, and I, th I think that's a really, as, as bad as it may seem, I think harm reduction is it's really increasing in today's like society. And it's really beneficial because a lot of people who are using a lot of the harder substances, it's so tough to just quit cold Turkey and just think that it's all willpower. Well, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, addictions are definitely uh, like bio psychosocial phenomenons. Like they, There's so many different intricate parts to an addiction that it can't just be willpower and motivation to get you through these difficult times. So I think 
a huge win and a huge positive is harm reduction. If you can lower the dosage or lower the quantity of using, using um, these are still really big wins that people need to focus on, or at least that I wish I would have focused on more at that time. Um, and yeah, eventually it just, it led to me moving to less harmful substances and then eventually to uh, weaning my way off of weed and tobacco. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent. Like I have a cousin that uh, was addicted to crack for such a long time and, you know, having, having such a, he has a family that really loves him. So his father was uh, providing a lot of financial means for him to just survive kind of thing. And he's, mm-hmm. like going to prison was one of the most beautiful thing for him because he was able to kind of uh, see himself without because he didn't uh, smoke cannabis or crack for a full year while he was in prison. And he kind of saw light at the end of the tunnel. But when he came back, of course, you go back to the same routine. And, and now he's about like he's smoking about uh, an ounce of cannabis per week or so, something like that. But at least he's not doing crack, right? And he's really turning to that. And hopefully one day, he's, like you say, he's going to, I mean, who knows where he's going to go. But like I say, smoking cannabis is way better than crack or. No, for sure. For sure. And it's, it's definitely those small steps. Yeah. That's what leads to a long journey of, of recovery. So yeah, they're, they're very beneficial. 100%. And yeah, it's, I, I like the notion of, uh, for Gabor Mate too, how he, it, you, you reminded me of it when you were telling me your story of um, how you were struggling a lot with, with weed and kind of just staring at the blank wall and, and had the anxiety and everything. But for uh, Gabor Mate, he says, essentially like in recovery, what is the person struggling with the addiction trying to recover? And he points out that what they're trying to recover is themselves is that they've lost themselves in the addiction or in the substance and all that they truly need in order to recover is to find themselves in their true nature and who they authentically are. And that is another really big lesson in teaching for me as I um, kind of look back on my own addiction and all I wanted to do was just find myself. I, in order for me to recover, I just needed to, find that authenticity that I lost through conforming to society standards and, and even my parents standards and friends standards and everybody else around me. Um, so yeah, it, it was just a really, really cool um, lesson that I learned from him recently in a little workshop I did with him. Yeah. hundred percent. The thing that resonates here is uh, it's for me, it's my uh, stomach pain, my anxiety or whatever that I had, like all of my life, even like uh, since childhood that's the thing that always ruled my life. And it's, I always tried to be free of it. But now, of course, after ayahuasca, I realized that I was always trying to find myself because yes, what you just said about like following your friends or even the not really following, but having the fear of not being good enough for your friend, not good enough for your parents, not good enough for society life. And for me, it was like, I was not good enough for my body. Like, why was my body giving me so much physical pain as I grew up, like from a young age, like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, Mm -hmm. why did I five years old? um, Am I always having stomach pain? Well, you know, this year anyway, showed me a lot and uh, I I might as well share it. But one of the things that I realized through um, all sorts of, uh, you know, plant medicines or whatever is that 
in my formal in my formal whatever the formidable years uh i had been uh, molested and i didn't know and i didn't realize and because of that it it made everything down there clenched and i was always clenched and i <laughs> that was fucked up man so this year i did a, a mushroom trip and it was horrible again it not it was horrible in a great way, like a, a bad trip. And now after ayahuasca, everything that I do when it comes to plant medicine is very much spiritual and for the, for the, I am right for yeah. what's going on. And uh, so I take the mushroom and the mushroom just makes, starts making me feel like pain all over my body, like complete pain. And I remember <laughs> being with my wife and she's like, uh, and I, I had to ask permission to cry. I'm like, Hey, is it okay if I cry? And she's like, yes, of course. Like you, you didn't cry for 38 years. Cry, of course. And as soon as she said that I started to cry, but like, you've seen me cry like that. Wow. Right? You remember when I cried like that in front of you, I cried, for sure, like, I'm in. Oh, I cried no. like that for three hours, man, three wow. hours. And then after that, my wife like needed to go to bed. She was working the next day. I had taken the day off. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to be good. I was so empty emotionally that I figured, okay, I've got nothing else. There's no more tears inside of me. I could feel it. Like I was empty emotionally. There's there. I couldn't have cried more that I cried. And so when she went upstairs, what I was left with was my body and my, the mushroom was just showing me my body, a hundred percent, my body. And I couldn't get out of it. it. I could see my nose, my feet, my ears, my, and it, and I could see how, like, as soon as I would concentrate, and I, I wouldn't do it on purpose. It was just, it would, my awareness would jump from like one part to my body to another. And it was freaking me out because when I would think of my skull or my nose, I could see the memory of my nose all the way back. And it's like all of the traumas that I've ever experienced with my nose by saying it's too big or whatever. Then I would think of my head and my skull, like, and I could, I knew that that was my skull because I, like all, all of the memories and the traumas that I had from my skull, from my feet, from my knees. And it was jumping from one part to another. And I, I was starting to freak out. And I was like, hey, I don't want to think about my body. Can, like, can you stop? And I couldn't get out of it. So I went and take a shower. And as I was taking my shower again, it would jump and I couldn't snap out of it. So I came back downstairs and I tried to call somebody on the group, like uh, an ayahuasca group. And I was like, dude, I'm having a hard time. And Corey responded and I couldn't talk to him live. So I started recording live, like what was happening? Because as soon as I started using my voice, I could like the anxiety would lower, but still I was with my body a hundred percent. And then uh, I still freaked out and I had quit cannabis for two weeks or, or more than that. And at that point, I'm like, Hey, I, I got to do something. And I had cannabis at home and I, I felt so bad and I felt so much shame, but I'm like, I got to go smoke. Like I'm freaking out fucking mushroom doesn't want to let me go like I kept thinking and I, when I would think of my body like my nose my skull I hated it I hated my body so much like I could see like fuck this body and I and I kind of had the memory of like other bodies in my past and I was like I like this body I like this body but fuck Dom like this body sucks I hate it so much because of all of the pain I've ever experienced and so through my shame and my sadness, I rolled up a joint. I'm like, I, I give up. Okay, I'm going to go back to smoking weed. I'm an asshole. I'm a loser. Even though I went to uh, Peru and ayahuasca, I, like, I'm going back to cannabis. I can't do this. Because I knew that sobriety was kind of the way spirituality kind of says, like, if you really want to know yourself, you got to be 
sober, but I was still in the dark night of the soul. Like I was not mm-hmm. really good. So I go outside and I smoke. I know it's a long story, but there's a point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I smoke. And as soon as I smoke, mother came into my awareness and, and cannabis, because I've been with cannabis for so long. I had attributed cannabis to mother uh, after Peru. Like every time I would smoke, I would just think of mother and think of my time in Peru and she would bring me so much comfort. So cannabis for me was a plant to bring in another spirit, like mother uh, ayahuasca basically. Mm. So I go outside and that spirit comes in and I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, I, like I want to think of you. I don't want to think of my body. And as soon as I did that, I said to myself, like, hey, Dom, like, I, I can tell, like, I fucking hate you, but this, this is a problem. Like, I know that I need to create self-love. I've been trying to do that for fucking six months now. I, listen, you know, I don't love you, but I want to work on starting to love you. So how about we try now? And as soon as I did that, there's a physical pain that started in my heart that just kind of came in my heart and it was like I was having an experience as if I was on ayahuasca or a uh, sapo and as soon as I get an experience like that I know what to do I start breathing like intensely like the same as I did in my sapo experience and and I dropped to my knees and I thought I was going to be sick and that feeling went in my heart went in my body went like a, it was going from one space to another and it was so painful and what it was showing me is like for the first time in my life I was looking at my body with love and because of that my body started to release and all of the pain that I had accumulating like all of my life from hating it from always ignoring it from always like and it was it was so deep like it was like since I was young like I I hated it so fucking much and uh, so for the first time I saw my body and the pain erupted and for the next about two to three hours I, I was in complete pain, but I was, I remember talking out loud for like the next two hours, like, okay, Dom, I got you. I know you're in pain and, and I'm looking at you. I'm not going to look back. And if I have to feel this pain for the rest of my life, I'll do it. Like it's me and you, buddy. Like it's, I got you. I got you. And I kind of created a big separation. Well, at one point the pain got so fucking much. I almost passed out. Mother came in, took my entire pain body put it in a ball and separated it and kind of took over my body and was like dom chill though chill like you guys are both panicking way too much and i was talking out loud i felt insane but as soon as she put that all of my pain into a ball and kind of put it in a on the side and i could see it uh i allowed it i am like you know what i'm insane fuck it like mother take over like i i'm about to pass out this is so fucking painful and she was talking to me like chill chill like because the experience was so fucking profound. Like you got this chill. And I kind of just stayed like that and talking to myself and I fell asleep. The next day I woke up and there was such a pain in my stomach, like such a pain. I thought I had to go to the hospital. I took a suppository. I took like, uh, you know, water. I was trying everything to get the pain to kind of pass. And I was telling my wife, like, maybe I think I need to go to the hospital. Like the pain is so extreme. Anyways, it ended up like unblocking and I went to the washroom. And when I went to the washroom, I realized I'm fucking clenching. And I was like, what the fuck's happening down there? And oh, yeah. And when I woke up the next day, I was like one with my body. I couldn't. It's kind of a commitment that I had done the day before with the mushroom and mother cannabis and myself. 
Like, I'm never going to look away from this body. Like, my body is my body, and I need to fucking respect it and love it no matter what. And so when I took the suppository and everything and everything passed, I realized, like, what the fuck's happening down there? And I realized I was clenching, and I realized that I did that all my life, and it it kicked like it. It was so fucking profound, and I kind of had a vision of what happened, I guess, at four or three years old or something like that. And it brought me again to my knees and I was able to purge it. But dude, for 38 years, I was, my entire lower abdomen, whatever was clenched from fear, from this experience. And it fucked the rest of my life up. And I didn't even know. And that that was the cause. And since then, I've been like one presence with my body and every time there's anything that clenches like anything my jaw anything i'm like i take the time to breathe into it and to relax and since then stomach pain is gone uh, no more constipation uh i'm working on getting my my posterior or whatever in working order like uh, to remove the pain whatever i'm doing exercise or whatever wow man that's crazy that it's- is crazy i have, I have so many so many insights and, and questions sure. um i mean first and foremost i think it's just like a testament to like the power of acceptance and accepting uh one of my ceremonies in um the amazon was simply i had the same same thing in my gut i had no idea what was going on it was the most excruciating pain i had ever felt in my life but as soon and i had it for about four hours and i just wanted to purge but as soon as I accepted that, that feeling was there. And I literally internally told myself, like, I accept that this feeling is here. All of a sudden, it just, I, well, I started purging and then I left my body entirely, completely. And so I really resonated with you when you're saying, even with your wife and when she kind of gave you permission to, to feel and to, to cry, then all of a sudden that opened up the gate for you. And in, in this uh, situation too, where you, you gave yourself that self-love and you open yourself up to, to embrace and accepting your body and how you felt. Then all of a sudden your, your feelings started to come out and it's, it's really, really cool. I mean, right after I came back from the Amazon, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't believe that I had that experience of as soon as I accepted it, the feeling was gone. And so I was reading a book uh, at the time called becoming supernatural by Joe Dispenza and in it he talks about exactly this concept of how we our our bodies biologically can store emotions and our neuropeptides and our tissues and our skin and all of our tissues and organs and muscles and essentially what that means is that all of our emotions can be stored within our bodies and so it's so wild to hear you say that since three or four these feelings and this emotion and that clenching in your gut has been there but only until you had that extra level of consciousness and awareness that kind of focused on that area did it then begin to dissipate and 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 evaporate essentially out of your body and wow man that's that's really cool it's a hundred percent what you're saying but it was like uh what it showed me is if you live your life with like a hatred of your body or even like negativity towards your body, even though you're experiencing joy or like a beautiful times, you're still creating trauma because you're always 
going through a lens that is dirty, that you hate, you know, your experience. So my anxiety was exactly that. It was kind of like a, because I hate, it's weird because of the experience that I had and somehow maybe as a kid, you think it's your fault or whatever. And because the way, I don't know if, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I don't remember, but the point yeah. is like, it was really showing me, like I kept creating trauma, like my entire life. And to, to say what you just said, like that resonates a lot because when I did my Sapo experience, I was free of my trauma for a full afternoon. And I talked about that podcast with uh, Lauren yesterday or the day before that when I did Sapo, uh, whatever mother allowed me to be free of my trauma for a full afternoon. Do you remember that afternoon in the third? Oh, I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I remember your Sapo experience. I want you to, to tell it was because I want to know what you felt inside because right? I saw it. So yeah, let's uh, let's go let's go to the beginning. I want to hear about your first ceremony in ayahuasca, and then everything is going to come up. Like I'm sure it's. I want to, yeah, I want to hear about that, and then we'll talk about like our experience as we go. Um, For sure. When you got to Peru, tell me what was your first impression? How are you feeling? Because now I'm like you're on a high. You booked it. You're getting golden nuggets for the like uh, two months, I'm guessing you booked it two months in advance about or a month. Yeah. Ju just over a month. I think. Yeah. So there you go. And just like me, as soon as I click book and I paid insane, how much work was already starting like insanity. Um, so tell me about your journey. Yeah. So for me, as soon as I booked the trip, I, I was already starting to do some, some really deep meditative practices and breath work and yoga but it just took it to a whole new other level. And my level of kind of consciousness and awareness was evolving rapidly. And, and it was very, looking back, it was, it was pretty, um, pretty profound at how quickly I was transforming in many ways. However, one, one thing looking back that's just kind of coming up now is I did still have an intention of going to the Amazon to free myself of the anxiety or the stress or, or, To, to free myself of the trauma and then past problems or, or past problems that were lingering. And it just makes me kind of think about now just how, I guess the, the aim, and, and you can tell me your perspective on this, but for me, I guess the aim is not to free ourselves of trauma and free ourselves of pain and suffering and all these things. We of course need to do our work and, and our part to, alleviate and eliminate as much of the trauma and pain and suffering as, as we can. However, I feel like we have to also understand that we cannot be freed of anxiety or stress or even doubts and fear for that matter, because they're human concepts. And actually, if, if you can perceive them in a light that's positive, that can be more of a trigger for growth, then I think that that's kind of the, the, the paradigm and perspective perspective that you, you need to have on it in, in order to grow and evolve. So um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? A hundred percent. So, well, my purpose anyways, for, so when I did click that, I wanted to go to Peru. My intention was to, was to not be angry anymore. Like I was, always angry and I, I didn't really care about my anxiousness anymore because I thought like this is me I'm gonna live with this pain for the rest of my life and that's fine even in high school 
I had some glimpse like of not giving a fuck of just living with the pain. And, and then when I became an adult, it became more heavy. I'm like, really, am I going to, as a, as a high school kid, you kind of, you're really, I don't know. There was a phase where I didn't care because I knew I was not going to puke from this stomach pain and this anxiety. Cause when I was really young, that was my fear. It's like, Oh, I'm always going to, I, I was always had to sit at the front of the bus. Every time we'd go skiing, every time we'd had a, any school trip, I'd be the kid that would stop the school bus because my anxiety would get so high that I thought that I would puke. And then in high school, I realized, okay, I never, I never puked from this anxiety. I'm good. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to feel it. But then as an adult, when I met my wife and I lost my cousin, I, I became bitter. I became so freaking bitter and angry that I, even though my wife was so supportive of me all the time, and now I had a, a daughter and I had a son, and I was getting angry at like at my daughter. She was like not even two, and when she would cry, my inner being would just get into such a rage. I wanted her just to shut up, but yet I knew how much love I had for her and how beautiful she was and how lucky I was to have this wife that's so supportive even though I was kind of not abusive but like I was horrible like I was so angry all the time and I it's like oh the house is like like I would snap and I, when I would snap I would feel shame because I knew that I it's just because I'm angry and I'm sad and I couldn't cry and I was just like so my intention to go to Peru was just to like okay enough with this shit like why the fuck am I this way like I'm like, I'm such a, I know how good I am. And yet my cousin's death just fucking fucked my world. Because before he died, that's why my wife fell in love with me in the first place. Because I met her three, four weeks before my cousin passed away. We had just quit cannabis, you know, when you quit. And then you, that girl, I just met that girl. She's amazing. She's always smiling. I'm always smiling. I'm super spiritual when it comes to Jesus and forgiveness. And I was doing great. Confidence was finally like I had confidence for once in my life. You know, it came back as a flight, like um, this white wall thing that I had done brought this sense of confidence, like a peace, because my inner critic was no longer in the way. I was talking to it like it couldn't bullshit me anymore. Like it was uh, almost like another, but I didn't believe in that. I knew it was talking like I thought I was insane, but I was owning it. I'm a wizard kind of thing. I kept saying that I'm a wizard. Um, so when I booked it, I'm like, I want I want to get rid of this, whatever is happening, because this is bullshit. I, this is bullshit. I'm not going to be the anger. Like, yeah. Like, why am I getting angry at my daughter? Like that was, it's, it was such a paradox getting angry at the thing you love the most, but having no control over it. Like you're just, your body starts to heat up. You get uh, full of anxiousness and, and my, and I couldn't control my inner critic anymore because when my cousin passed away, like I said, it fucked my world up. And even though I would talk to my inner critic, it kept saying like, man, you're a fucking asshole. Why are you doing this to your daughter? I'm like, fuck you. Like, why am I pissed? Why are you? So it was like a big struggle inside my mind. Mm -hmm. Like It was just nonstop. Like, I want to be better, but I kept exploding like so fast. Like, ah, just shut up already. Or especially at night, if she would wake up at night in the middle of the night and she would disrupt my sleep because I couldn't sleep. I was uh, almost insomniac. I would wake up like with just a hatred, like that one I couldn't control. It was so hard. And my wife would just be like, get the fuck out and like enough with your, your, your anger enough. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. And then I'd feel so much shame for like the next couple of days. And then with shame, it, 
it just created more anger. Like it was a never ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I booked it anyways, but to say to your point about the suffering now, anyways, after this year, I realized that this suffering and I call it a suffering because it could be emotional anxiety or it could be when I feel anxiety now, it's a bliss. I realized that my anxiety, my entire life, the thing that I had in my stomach, when you surrender to it and you see it as a whatever a healing, like a, I'm feeling this way for a reason, for a higher yeah. purpose. And as soon as you do that, and the mushroom taught me that and mother and cannabis, I don't know, all of them, it turns into a bliss and it comes up into my heart and it makes me want to cry, laugh, love, and it gets over my shoulder and it's like a river that's flowing. So this crazy anxiety that I had before, when I feel it now, it's because I'm sad or because something profound is happening and I allow it and it takes over my entire body and it turns into such a bliss. And I cry openly with like eyes open, looking up. I'm not ashamed. Look at my wife. Mm -hmm. and it feels so good. Like it feels, it's the best feeling in the world. And even now, like when I talk to you or it'd be, and I get something profound, let's say tears come up, I allow it. It's a heart opening. Like it's like your heart wants to open, but I was not allowing it through my, anyways. So to no, you. No, absolutely. Point, so, yeah, so yeah. sorry. I, I just want to add one thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, to that point, I, I think that that's kind of one of the bigger lessons that I learned from the Amazon was I was going into it with the mentality of, okay, I need to free myself of all these things. I need to get rid of the anxiety, get rid of the, the doubts and the fears and the stress and the, the inner critic and, and get rid of all these things and free myself of all these things. However, I've, I learned that all of these different emotions are actually like really good teachers yeah. and, and that if you just change your relationship with them and how you perceive them, then everything changes. And it's like stress. If I, I genuinely believe stress, if you look at it negatively and perceive it negatively, then that's, what's going to cause the, the anxiousness and the nervousness. But if you look at it positively, then that's, what's going to create the joy and excitement. And, and it's like the same chemical, but it just, if you perceive it differently, then it just has two completely uh, different outcomes. It feels great. Like now oh. when I experience stress, I'm like, oh, nice. And I stoke it with my breath and I'm just like in a state of bliss. And I'm like, oh, more. Like I want more. <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, the paradox 100%. is insane. <laughs> such a paradox. Like my, the thing that I used to run away from is the thing that I was running towards. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize. Yeah. Like, and, and yeah, to, to add on to that too, it's, I, I resonate so much with that. But what's really made me think about this topic specifically lately and the stress is that I've, I've been experiencing a lot of stress in the past maybe three weeks. And just because there's a lot of uh, upcoming shifts and changes in my, my life, I got accepted to a couple different schools. So now I'm contemplating a, a lot of bigger decisions that, that I haven't been really contemplating at all for the, for the past little while. So a lot of different stresses are coming out of my plate and I wasn't managing them well until I kind of sat with myself and looked at these stresses and, and the doubts and, and fears as really just triggers for positivity and, and gratitude. And I think for me, I, I have come to learn that stress is 
a beautiful signal that you're exactly where you should be. If, if for me, I, I want to be expanding. I want to be growing my awareness and consciousness and who I am. And really the stress is just a signal saying, okay, you're, you're, you're exactly where you should be. You're on the limits of your comfort zone. And this is unfamiliar territory. You're, you're trying to do things that you haven't done before. And this stress is, this is normal. It, it should be here because you're kind of breaching your limitations in a sense. And I don't know, for, for the past couple of weeks, it's just been a really good reminder that stress and, and doubts, all these things, they can actually be the exact thing that you need to kind of reaffirm that you're, you're where you're supposed to be. Mm, you're kind of speaking to me right now because I, what I've been, the thing that comes up with me is I'm still having, see, the thing that I'm having the most difficulty with right now is the, uh, the things that is the same. Uh, so for the, like I said, for the first eight years before ayahuasca with my wife, I created some deep grooves of the same patterns, right? Of let's say she does something that really annoys me. Well, on the days that I'm spiritual and I'm like doing good and um, when I don't get caught off guard I'm good I can handle it I can breathe through it I can take a breath and continue with this love but often I go back to the old patterns and those are the things that are tripping me up it it's weird it's uh, it's not the new things it's the old patterns that are I keep going back in the old grooves and and I forget and the it's not that I feel shame, like I'm really good at looking at my body, but I, I get caught so quickly and then I just react and then I, I hurt, you know, uh, the, the, I hurt, I hurt her and that, uh, it's been bumming me out, but yeah, I'll, I like this to really sit. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and again, I think what we were talking about before of how, um, emotions and, and these things, it's, it's very cyclical and is. Yeah a cycle that, that comes in even forgetting it's like you you have a such a profound mystical experience you go to ayahuasca you you have some amazing thing shift in your life and you think okay i'm never gonna forget to not be grateful for this thing or i'm never gonna forget well whatever it is and all of a sudden you, you forget, you oh, forget. Yeah. <laughs> and and even forgetting is is a cycle so that's that's what i've been experiencing with this stress and yeah, it's been it's been extremely important for me to to also embrace and accept that I'm gonna forget that stress is actually a good sign in a lot of cases, and it just yeah again reaffirms kind of my belief and everything can be looked at as Ram Dass said you know just love everything, like just love everything, love the stress, love the doubts, yeah. love the fears, and everything is so much easier because you don't have to decide oh is this good is this bad. Um, obviously, I guess for, for my belief, there, there is no good or bad. So it's more or less perceiving everything in, in a way that can help you transcend your limitations and just grow and evolve. Yeah. And but, the, the, it's almost like a, the way I see it too, it's almost like those feelings want to be experienced by you. So let's say like you, you know, you write into your journal and you, you're good for a while and then it's cyclical and then you're going to be presented with so much um busyness in your life that you want to have time to go back to your journal and read back no matter what and <laughs> then you're going to be left with those feelings no matter what it's almost like those feelings exist and want to be perceived by you and you alone and 
there's no way around it and there's nothing wrong with that you know just mm-hmm. breathe through it kind of thing um yeah that re- that reminds me actually that's a good point that reminds me of Corey saying of uh what is the implication of this and so for me when i am in stressful situations or, or when i try to plunge inward a little bit and ask um, deeper introspective questions on certain things, asking what is the implication of this has been so beneficial in my life. So if I was to, to look and ask this question immediately, as soon as the stress kind of came up a couple of weeks back and said, okay, what is the implication of the stress? Like, what does this imply? Well, then I, if I was looking through a, a conscious and, and kind of aware lens then I would have seen like, Oh, I am, pushing my boundaries here i am growing and learning a lot of new new things and the stress is because i'm going into unfamiliar territory and yeah that excuse me that question has proven to be so beneficial in my life and yeah i I can't express how much uh, just that one one question can can change your perspective on so many things yeah i'll have not i'll have to but it, it brings back the uh the idea like the fucked up part is like, I can clearly see like, uh, as I'm living my life, I can see night and day of who I was back then to who I am now. But the fucked up thing is that the feelings for whatever reason are the same. So I always, you know, that's one thing, a misconception, you know, before you, you get into this journey, you're like, if I get there, then I'll be good. But it's weird. When you get there, you're like, no, it's the same. I'm so hard on myself still to this day as I was before and I, yet I can see clearly like I am so far <laughs> like so far where I was and still uh, I'm like yeah, it's not it's not that it's not good enough but those the feelings are the same they're the same intensity they're the same yeah and it's meant to be witness it's meant to for you to to process to look at to be the observer of because you're doing work with madre you know you're doing work with disillusion and absolutely it's and that purpose so the what's the implication in this i i wish it would resonate more um because i I it must be the french in me but what do you mean like what is the implication of this like in terms of what am i witnessing what am what do you mean so essentially what when i think about it um it, it just means like, what does this imply? So for an example, I, I shared this with Corey, actually. So I'll use this example. Uh, when I was in at his place last March, I were just hanging on the hot tub and I actually, I lied to him um, more or less just self-exaggerating a simple point. I, I pretty much said, what did I say? It was, oh, it was, it was about plunging. So, so at the time I was, I was starting to have people over and, and plunge and and then like the ice tank that I have or just have an ice bath. And I was inviting a lot of people over every week and I was creating this little, little circle. And it was really fun to have all these people over. And I was just sharing kind of the lessons that I was learning in that process of plunging with people and how ice baths were helping me. And I understand now why I did exaggerate. um, But I said, Oh, and, and at the end of our, at the end of our, ice baths and at the end of the after everyone plunges we then plunge more internally and share something about ourselves about the week positives negatives and we get more into a deeper conversation to kind of close things up 
which was actually not even the case. And I just did that subconsciously. I just lied just outright um, pretty well. Just well. And again, this is, this is a perfect scenario to ask that question of what is the implication of this? Like why, what, what does this imply? Why would I lie to Corey? I know Corey is going to accept me for who I am, whether I, I make terrible decisions. The, the guy is full of love and light and he is going to accept me for who I am and who I, I I'm presenting myself to be at that moment, no matter what, he's going to love me. So why, what is the implication of this lie? And for me, the lie signifies that I need to still seek external validation in order to feel worthy. Meaning, and again, what does that imply? That implies my own lack of self-worth because if I already had that total 100% self-love and self-worth within myself, then I wouldn't be seeking his validation and hoping that he thinks that I, I can go deep and do the work and, and that I'm very spiritual and I'm philosophical and I'm a deep, wise individual. And so that, that question of what is the implication of this is, yeah, it's taught me so much. And those instances where, where I over-exaggerate and I, I subconsciously act or behave or say things that I don't intend to. Um, and and it, it works in many other areas too. It can work in, um, can work in fears. I think a, a good example for a fear is I, uh, I was really jealous of my girlfriend uh, applying back to school. She just applied back to university of, um, UBC, University of British Columbia, and to a couple other schools. And I was, I don't know, I, I couldn't understand why I was so envious and why I was so jealous of her. I was so proud of her and so happy for her for taking the initiative to go back to school. And I couldn't get my head around why I was so caught up in being envious of her. And again, I sat with myself and I, and I asked, what is the implication of this envy? What is this jealousy and envy implying? And Lo and behold, it was my own desire to go back to school, to elevate and grow my academic life so that I could flourish in a more, um, into a better profession that aligns with my desires and what my passions are. So yeah, through, through asking this simple question, this very simple question of what is, what is the implication of this? It can have so many profound effects. God damn. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you 100%. About that lying example, I uh, I do that to my wife. And what does this imply? I feel like I'm I'm not good enough. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. It's it's a, it's a very it's a very easy way to access a deeper understanding of who you are or at least who you're acting to be. Um and yeah, it's it's yeah, immensely beneficial. Yeah, and uh, man, it resonates because when you said that lie thing, it's like it right away. I thought to my wife because it's weird how those white lies or those little lies come up out of, and I'm like, why do I do that? Like, it makes no sense. Why can I just say the truth for you know X, Y, and Z? It, it makes no sense. But I've never asked that question. What does this imply? And as soon as I asked it, I'm like, oh shit, I don't feel like I'm worth like uh, my worth is. Uh, my perception of worth when it comes to her because of that like eight years man of me being a fucking dick or whatever you know before ayahuasca and even after ayahuasca and even now 
And uh, yeah, 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 man. Thank yeah. you. So much. I appreciate that so much. That was that was profound, man. The tear came. Yeah, I mean, crazy. it's. Uh, I think it really sunk in uh, for me. I, I did a seventy-two hour silent retreat. I do, I do two a year. I'm actually going to do one uh, not this weekend, but the the weekend after that. But through one of my silent retreats, um, after I was, after I came back from being with Corey, so it was last May. I, I had that kind of, he shared with me that tool of what is the implication of this. And then I had that kind of aha moment of that one example in the hot tub with Corey, but then it just started spiraling of like all of the other various times in my life where, holy shit, I just completely overlooked the, the deeper meanings behind how I acted or how I behaved. And it's been, it's been a really, yeah, really great tool, really great tool. And it's funny too, because when you first mentioned that question, what are the, I heard Corey right away in my head, like, <laughs> same with you, you know, I turned to, to Corey when it comes to advice and what are the implications of it? Like, it's so Corey. That's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, all right. Where were we? So now in Peru. Yeah. Do you have more insight? Because that, that was profound. I feel like, yeah, you have um, so much man, when it comes to that. Okay. So. Okay, a couple things. Okay, for, first off, I absolutely love you to death. I, I got to cut this short a little bit. I got 100%. maybe till 9 o'clock. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then hopefully, if you're willing, we can pick up right where we left off and of uh, do another episode. Yo, it's um, and yeah, I guess, I guess one, one thing that's been kind of on my mind throughout um, the past maybe 20, 25 minutes, not sure where this has come from, but this idea of like how we are limitless and, and you were looking back at yourself. Um, you, you were saying that you, when you look back at yourself, you, you kind of judge your, your past self and you, you know that you're so far ahead of, of where you were, but at the same time, you still feel so far behind of where you could be. And this kind of internal dialogue, I guess that's something that, that I struggle with as well of, perceiving that I am far ahead or far behind of others and of who I am. So it was kind of judging me based on my past self. Um, but kind of uh, a little insight I just had was that essentially we all, in my belief, we all are truly infinite and limitless beings of love and, and of, of potential. And that, that kind of implies no matter where we are in that infinite space, whatever identity we're currently kind of taking on in this human experience, we're going to have two parallels or, or two different positive and negative outlooks. We're always going to have something worse than, the, than what we could be and always something better than what we could be in this human expression. However, it's, it's really understanding that behind that human quality and human essence of us, there is always that limitless nature that is always going to be what curates this experience and what cultivates the opportunity for growth. Cause, cause again, I, I don't, I don't think there is any positives or negatives. So I don't think there is any far behinds or far aheads. And I actually talked to Corey on this as well um, when I was back at his place. And I always thought that he was just so far ahead and that, I would never be able to, to kind of reach his level of consciousness and awareness. And then I come home and, and 
honestly, my girlfriend was kind of saying the same things to me about that. It's like, you're so far ahead. And then her friend was saying that about her. Of, oh my God, I wish I could be so far ahead as that. And like this whole comparison, it's, it's really a, a crazy, crazy loop that, that a lot of us get trapped in. Um, and I've noticed it recently as well in social media, I've just kind of taken a little sidestep away from it for a few months here. And just that level of comparison is, it's so prevalent, I think in many, many people's lives. And I'm not saying I've overcame it at all, but I think it's really important to focus on that fact that we all are at our core limitless. And that means that there's going to be something better and something worse and our mind's perception of it. Um, so yeah, that, that was just kind of one thing that I was thinking about. So I, I just wanted to want to more or less speak on that. I love it because since I've, the thing that's been catching me is since I've been silent mind, and I've been like with like, there's no, there's no inner voice anymore. It's been a while now. It's been gone. And the thing that's catching me is like, why do I still get upset? Why do I still catch myself snapping at my wife when she does something, something? And it's exactly what you just said. Somehow, somewhere, when I asked the question of uh, what does this imply? It's like, it comes out like, oh, you have a trauma here that makes it so that you're comparing yourself to your wife and you think your wife is ahead of you or better, stronger because she had to endure. And like you say, like if I take a deep breath and I go back to the Tao and I just allow all those feelings to turn into bliss, no matter what they are, it's uh, it, it's kind of like taking a moment, like every time that you feel an emotion of stress, instead of like continuing to play with it to really ask that question, what does this imply? And then right away, it's going to be, you take a breath and you sit with it. It's going to reveal itself. And it's, uh, it's like, that's my next practice. You know, if anything comes up between me and my wife, what does this imply? Sit with it and boom, right away. Like, it's weird how your body, your ego sometimes takes you for a ride as much as you've got the knowledge and the wisdom of like, not comparing yourself and you are one the the like you say your tissue your muscles take you for a ride because you're still holding on to something that you didn't realize you were holding on to and you're mm, like, for sometimes, sure sometimes you're like oh man i was holding on to that i was clenching what <laughs> so that i just had that realization when you were saying that it's like yeah yeah a hundred percent why is my body or and it's not that i'm better than my body as well like i'm not doing it it's weird like i'm even doing a comparison as if i i have to do that with my body as well like mm -hmm. like uh, as if i'm better than my body and better than my ego kind of thing but no like there's a purpose there's a healing for all it all ties in there's a lot to digest that's why I feel yeah. so appropriate that the nine o'clock is coming up and you need to go because it's, that was profound, man, on so many levels. And I need to digest this shit. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. And I, I've got to add, too, um, I, I've been, like, in the past, after, honestly, after a lot of the challenging trips that I've had with psychedelics, which the majority of my trips have been challenging, <laughs> yeah. um, to say the least. And I think after those trips, you, you kind of, a lot of your paradigms do kind of break down and you deconstruct a lot of paradigms that you don't want anymore, but then that fills space for something new to emerge. And for me, I kind of get, or I have got lost in that space before. And then I start to have these ideas of, 
oh, I'm not my ego. So anytime my ego comes up, then I get so confused and I, I got to fight with it or, oh, I'm not my body. But anytime certain um, problems arise there, then I have to disassociate myself with it. But I think, again, a, a key teaching for me is trying to kind of make all of these systems a symbiotic relationship yeah. where everything meshes together and where everything works in congruency. So my mind, my body, spirit, ego, everything is on the same page and they're all allies kind of just working towards a greater cause. And that cause is, as I believe, is to evolve and to transcend this current self to become a better self, because that really is the, the deepest purpose, I believe, of being a limitless self is trying to always grow and to evolve. And I think it's Jim Quick who said, like, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I just love that because, yeah, I mean, growth, growth is uh, it's essential if you want to live uh, a positive, happy um, experience as a as this human form. Yeah, Matt was talking about that. The I think he used that same word, like the symbiosis or, uh, you know, where you have to bring everything into balance. Yeah, like a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah for sure. A hundred percent. And the and knowing that it's a man yeah that was profound man this entire podcast really uh it's weird like I, as much as i enjoyed it it was hard like it was really emotional so thank you so much for bringing me on that journey that was insane dude man thank you so much for having me on and i cannot wait to uh to continue wherever yeah, yeah, when, yeah. whenever the next podcast is brother i'm excited as well my friend this is never ending and like i said this you call it my podcast. This is not my podcast. This is a, a healing integration tool for everybody that comes on and for myself. Like I am getting so much benefits from this that it would not be fair. Oh, I, I can only imagine. I actually uh, like after listening to uh, like your, your podcast with just yourself and with Matt and with Lauren coming on, it has been amazing for me to, to get deeper understandings through those um, experiences like personal experiences that you guys have had and it's really helped me understand just how um, informative and and beneficial a podcast is and even coming on this one uh, with you okay. you have those you, you have those kind of thoughts of well oh, what are we going to talk about oh is, is it going to be is it going to be a good episode am I going to actually provide some sort of insights and again those those stresses kind of come up but it's uh it's been amazing it's been amazing flowing with you, man, for yeah. sure. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I do love this. It, that's one thing Like, I feel like it's my calling. This thing of being a presence and having no mind. It's so fun, like talking to people because I, I don't, I, I rarely get these thoughts of like, is it going to be good? Like, I know that I, I'm just going to give space and mother and whatever this illusion is going to provide the rest. Like this is, like I said, this is not my podcast. This is mother's podcast. This is whatever's podcast of healing. And if anybody wants to listen or go, like it's for healing, it's not for me. I love it so much. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. Mike Thank you so much. much love. What did you just say? Much love, brother. Much love. All right. See you later. And uh, love you with all my heart. Absolutely, man. Take care. All right.